Hello and welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. My name is Oscar Brummel, and today my guest is noise luminary Aaron Dilloway, who connected with me from Nepal, where he is currently living and working. If you enjoy this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash white centipede noise afterwards to check out the extended segments of the interview and support the show. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor and pleasure that you join me. Um, you are clearly in Nepal right now, as we can see out of your back window. Um, I really, really want to hear about what you're doing there and um, and and all about that that trip and experience. But um, you know, I usually like to start with most guests and ask them kind of a bit about their background. Um, I think you don't need much introduction to most people who are watching this. So um, I'm going to skip that. And also if anyone hasn't seen it and wants to know more about your background, you did a fantastic interview with Roman Leva for Harsh Truths podcast. Not so long ago, which yeah, is out fun. there and, yeah. That's a great one where you really talk a lot about your uh, early days and into the early days of your 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 music and noise and art career. So I recommend anyone who wants that backstory to go check that out first. So um, into what you're doing right now, um, I'm familiar with some of your recordings from around 2005, 2006 that mm -hmm. were themed around Nepal and featured a lot of um, field recordings from Nepal. And I, to my understanding, you were in Nepal also at that time. Mm -hmm. What, well, what are you doing in Nepal and what, what brings you to Nepal now and what, why were you there then? And what's, what's the, what's the connection with Nepal? Well, my, my partner, uh, mother of my children, she, uh, she uh, studies Nepali sign language. Oh. And so she, we came here in 2000, at the end of 2004 um, into 2005 for about eight months um, when she was doing field work. Um, and so that's, that's how I ended up there then. And now uh, she's doing more research and doing some teaching and, uh, so we're here with our kids um, for six months this time. Wow! And I did a I did a very short trip here uh, with John Weiss about five years ago as well. Okay. So that's three. Times so you're not there. 
Amazing. So you're not there in, in connection with your own personal work. You're not there to perform or, or specifically work no, on music. I, I brought gear here and I will be performing actually this Saturday and next Saturday. Um, uh, I met uh, a guy named Daniel Suba here um, who is as far as I know, one of the only people doing noise here in Kathmandu. Um, there was another guy, I forget his name. He's on band camp. Um, and turns out they were partners at one point and used to do a lot of stuff together, but he has since, I guess, gotten married and isn't as active anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But Anil has a, has an art space called uh, Fluxbox, and so I've I've brought all my gear over there, and we we get together and play um, probably three times a week. Wow. So, and we're going to have an event there on this Saturday, and then um, on the twenty first, we're going to have a gig at um, a club here in in Kathmandu called beers and cheers. Um, it has a lot of metal gigs and I went to a hardcore show there the other day. Wow. Awesome. What, so you haven't done any gigs yet in Nepal in general? No, no. And you know, it, it may be one of the first noise gigs ever here. <laughs> I know, I know, um, uh, CM Von Hauswolf, I believe was out here. He and Chandra Shoka, I think did something out here, but I'm okay. not sure if they did gigs or, uh, but I just found out about that one recently. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Cool. Um, but yeah, Neil and I got, uh, introduced by Michael Northrum, who has done a lot of traveling out here. Um, and he, he was, um, like an early, he was a writer for ND magazine, um, early like industrial mm -hmm. and noise uh, avant-garde uh, magazine mm -hmm. um, in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and uh, so he was the one that introduced us. He saw I was coming here and said, you got to meet my friend Anil. Awesome. And, uh, New from gracious host available for the month of January, 2023 flesh shuddering, Steel Point Implosion, The Concept Horse, Toad Dorsch Muzan, Magnetic Coroner, Spectral Doppelganger, and HSFB, Submerged in Silk. Gracious Host is a label based out of Trumansburg, New York, focused on releasing a wide range of quality noise on recyclable and permanent formats. All releases are assembled from recycled materials and dubbed onto used or rewritable media. Each release is issued in a made-to-order edition, with availability limited to month-long periods throughout the year. Previous releases from artists like Black Leather Jesus, Donna Parker, Elastic Energy Ensemble, and Form Hunter are also available through the month of January. Visit primeruin.bigcartel.com to order this month. Copies available soon from Scream and Writhe and White Centipede Noise. Is your connection to Nepal in any way spiritual or your partners? Is there a certain reason to do with Nepali's spirituality or culture that, that has brought you there, that you're tapped into maybe since being there? Um, no, 
she uh, she came here. She it just kind of um, she had an interest in the Himalayas, and and she had done so in uh, done some work in India, and she, when she came to Nepal, she just fell in love with it. So then she decided to do work here. And, um, uh, then when she did her dissertation, was working on her dissertation, um, was when, uh, we were, we were getting married. We came here. Like I, I left Wolf Eyes, came here for six or seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Erica, um, just kind of, I just kind of tagged along with her when she was coming to uh, work on her, her dissertation back in 2004. And um, I just fell in love with it here. Um, I mean, it's been my first time to Asia. Um, it, everyone, it, everyone's so sweet. Uh, it's, I mean, the, the spiritual aspect of things here is it's it's very beautiful it's hard to it's hard to learn like i've you know i get books i i go to you know i talk to people about things but it's hard to um it's hard to learn it all there's so much um but um but no there's not really like a spiritual sort of uh uh, religious reason why I'm here. Okay. Um, and you you did that series of recordings during your original trip, and um, it's a lot of field recordings from the streets and from musical events. Mm-hmm. What What is that place like sonically, and how does it inspire you, and how does it connect to your, your musical work? Um. It's well, yeah. When when I was here the first time, all I did was, you know, Erica would go off to the Kathmandu Association for the Deaf. She'd do her work. I would take my mini disc recorder and my stereo mic and just go hunting for interesting sounds. Um, come back in the evening, edit it. Um, it was the best. Um, but yeah, the sounds here. There's, it's. There's always birds. There's always motors. There's um, always dogs barking. Um, so it's it fits right in with my music musical uh, tastes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's it's a very musical place. And there's always there's always music coming from somewhere in the distance. Cause, you know, there's always um, uh, like bhajans, like religious. Uh, music you know played in the mornings and the evenings everywhere here um and there i don't know if you can hear that but there's you know there's always work being done there's hammering happening right outside right now yeah has your perspective on nepali music changed since or nepali culture and sound and kind of life changed since your first trip there uh, to now, I mean, how sure. how is that coming back after I mean, after these periods of time? Yeah, it was like it's like eighteen years since the first time yeah. I went there at this point, and so 
it's changed a lot. There's, uh, um, you know, the internet I think has made a big, I mean, everywhere in the world has made a big impact, but like when we were here and, uh, it, the first time, you know, we had to go to an internet cafe to use the internet and now it's, right. it's everywhere. Everyone yeah. has internet, every cafe, you get the Wi-Fi password and can do your work and, um, be connected. Um, and that changed, I think the music scene a lot. Um, when I was here the first time, like if you would go into Tamel, which is kind of like a touristy downtown area of Kathmandu. And at, at that time it was like every four or five shops was a cassette and CD shop. Um, wow. at that time, cassettes were kind of on their way out but there was they were still everywhere um and cds had kind of taken over um but they were all cd it it was a lot of cdrs and um i did an interview with this uh nepali folk uh uh musician named kumar bosnit who made a lot of uh folk like pop folk uh music in the 60s and 70s he was very frustrated because you would put a CD out and, you know, one shop would buy it, but then it would get bootlegged immediately all of the shops. So he was like, I don't record music anymore. I just do live performances. Um, And now there's not, you, you know, you barely see even CD shops. And I collected a lot of cassettes when I was here. Um, uh, came home with almost 200 uh, Nepali cassettes and, and now you can barely find a cassette. You, you, you can barely find cassette players that work. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very different. And, um, and there's more of an underground scene here now, I think of, of like younger punk and, metal musicians doing things mm-hmm. uh, I caught some some punk and metal gigs that first time but it was mostly like covers like sure. iron maiden covers, metallica covers um i did i did find a i i, I saw this all girl band do um doing cra- crass covers which wow. kind of blew my mind and i i remember just kind of i was walking down the street heard this band play and so i went up to this bar and saw this band and but i was like i had to be somewhere else so i didn't get to like talk to them or meet them but someone there gave me a flyer for a place called the info shop which was um the, the i guess the the woman in this band uh had started like a like a zine library um like so i guess she went she went away and lived in in england for a while and came back and and uh um, but I, I tried to find it for, for like months and months. We we had a scooter at the time, dry, riding yeah. my scooter, could not find it at all. There was a little map on this flyer, but it was like, you know, punk, hardcore, DIY, uh, info shop. Wow. And, um, but I finally, on my last trip, when I came here with John, uh, we met, the day we were leaving was the day of the Nepal Death Fest. So there's like a big death metal grindcore scene here. 
now. Cool. Um, and we met some kids uh, that were involved in in putting it on. We went and visited them, and they had a silk screen shop, and they had all these books. I, I don't know if it was the info shop or, like, I asked uh-huh. them about that, and now when I see pictures of the old info shop, I'm like, those seem like the same things that they had at this. Um, yeah. So then, and I just met, uh, we, we had to leave. We didn't get to see the death fest. We were, we were bummed cause it was literally the day of our flight home. Um, oh, but we got to meet those kids. And then, uh, I just met a guy right down my house. He runs a silk screen shop called sick rags. Cool. And, uh, he's in a couple hardcore bands. Um, I just went and saw his band neck, neck deep in filth. Uh, cool. Play. And he, he, he knew about the info shop and he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that woman did a lot, you know, and she's still got a band. And, um, but, uh, so it's, it's, it's cool to see, uh, you know, this kind of underground scene bubbling up and, and they, they, there's, you know, some of the metal bands are releasing cassettes. Um, I think mostly on European or American labels, but they're, uh, there's a sure. metal band called Ugra Karma that just released a cassette. Um, and, but yeah, there's, it's hard to find a cassette player here. And, uh, what do you think the reactions to your, your shows are going to be like? I mean, are you playing with, no are, you, idea. are you playing kind of hardcore underground scene shows like with other bands or people that are kind of exposed to that? Is it more of an art? Environment the, the or one is going to be more of like an, it's in an art space. Um, and, uh, it's kind of, uh, there's, it's going to be kind of a picnic sort of situation. There's going to be, um, a friend of ours who does like, she does dyeing of clothes with like, um, plants and she's going to be doing a workshop there. And then Anil and I are going to do some sort of performance after um, but then the second one is is more at it's at a club with like a heavy PA, um, and I'm hoping some we get some of the metal kids out. Like when I when I met uh, Jason who runs uh, Sick Rags, I I told him oh, I'm a, you know I I play uh, noise noise uh, music and he's like oh noise grind and I'm like no no <laughs> just just noise electronic noise. Yeah, no. it's like oh, okay, cool. But uh, that's crazy. yeah. So we'll see. That could be that could be a big event. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. So that that gig is going to be organized uh, by this this guy Nishal, who I just recently met, and he he knows a lot of uh, underground music, and he's a, he's a DJ. He does electronic. Uh, DJ stuff. Um, but he's, he knows a lot of like industrial music and, uh, uh coil psychic TV. And, um, I know he traveled to, uh, he was in Germany at some point and saw Lucy Railton play. Cool. So it was cool to, you know, meet him and discuss, uh, uh, similar things, you know, that yeah. been- charnel ground presents crew transmissions Two: festival of noise and heavy electronics. 
Featuring, Heat Signature, Pain Appendix, Worth, Kind Friendelike, Wallkeeper, Cadaver, Gazelling, and more. 29th of April 2023 at Resistor in Leiden, Netherlands. Visit charnelground.bigcartel.com for updates and additional information. Going to your music, there's a, a certain thread through your music that I actually want to kind of try to talk about or hear your thoughts on. The, the, the aesthetics, this kind of fascination with this uncanny valley, bizarro, semi-horror kind of children's cartoony vibe. I mean, your fascination with masks, your fascination with, uh, you know, these these certain specific things that sort of come from a certain era, it seems like. Mm-hmm. The graphics, and that kind of translates into the sound. I guess I don't know exactly know what my question is, but I mean, in a place like Nepal, where, you know, it's it's not a Western country, it probably doesn't have as much wide you know that i think that that kind of comes from a wide media exposure at a young age perhaps you know that we have in the, the states you know watching yeah. television and, and all this stuff you know you get inundated with all this stuff from all these sources maybe in a, in a culture where that isn't as maybe at its core do you think that is sort of how do you think that might be perceived i mean do you think do you think that sort of i don't want to say irony but the sort of like the the, the the friction between that and your your aesthetics can that be received as well or maybe better in a place like Nepal? Yeah, I don't know what it would what it comes off like for a Nepali. I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, sound wise, I feel like they would be able to um, maybe appreciate noise and 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 drone what like i mean i don't know if you've heard any like tibetan buddhist music um like really heavy yeah drone music you know and it's 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 pretty dark at times and yeah um you know uh, uh i see a lot of i hear a lot of similarities between uh yeah, I guess that's that's kind of my question is because like you have these elements of this culture, which I, which I admit I do not know that much about, but these sacred elements that are kind of ingrained into the culture, like this drone, this element of drone, and these these types of music that are maybe even closer to sonically what we, you know, consider noise music or drone music. But to, I, I get the sense they are really much more embedded in the culture. Whereas I think, you know, coming from the States, coming from Western culture, these elements are kind of like a a reaction to our popular culture, you know, like a kind of rebellion against music in some way. I mean, not, not only, but I mean, it's, they have this kind of subversive element for us. Whereas I see something like, yeah, like, like the drone, the chants being quite close maybe to what you might do or what a noise artist might do, but I'm curious how they might be perceived by a culture that sort of already has them in the, in the fabric of the culture. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'll see this weekend. (laughs) how It goes over. Um, It's, it's, it's funny, you know, I've met uh, some of Neil's friends and he's, he's been doing sound stuff for quite a few years. Um, Mm -hmm. He, he's a he was a painter 
um, and kind of came into sound from that. And uh, <laughs> his one of his friends said to me, uh, she said, I, I, I thought he was the only one who thought like this. <laughs> it was like, I, I didn't know anyone else, you know, uh, enjoyed sound like this. Um, and that, that struck me as, as yeah. funny. And he's also, he was, he asked me, it was like, do you consider yourself a musician? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my stuff comes. I ask. I mean, he knows. He's he's you know learned about John Cage and certain things. He he's, uh, but you know he doesn't know about the noise. You know, American or even European noise scenes. Um, my son and I just played him Sonic Youth for the first time the other night. Wow, cool. um, so he just he just got into sound because you know he wasn't. I, I don't, it wasn't some, you know, wasn't like a cultural or a, a, a musical, you know, for a lot of us, it was like hearing butthole surfers, hearing Sonic Youth. Right. Got us, you know, kind of into that, but he just, he just got into it because he was, he's a weirdo. <laughs> that's, I mean, that that's amazing. That could really produce some pure art. And I mean, who knows? I mean, that's, uh, I think the context with, with which, which we operate as noise musicians or whatever can sometimes be a little bit debilitating, you know, cause it's like, it's, you know, referential and genre based, not as mm -hmm. bad, but it has a certain, it definitely affects thinking about free sound in a certain way. So that's great. I mean, I, I really am eager to hear what you guys do together and what, what comes of all that. That's very exciting. Um, so, I guess I kind of tried to hint at it or, or, or attack it a little bit, but um, you know, your your imagery and your not only visual aesthetic but also audio aesthetic is very rife with certain repeating images and kind of themes, which are you know maybe you've talked about them before, but can you just begin to tell me about your fascination with this element of masks, uh, puppets, faces, these kind of distorted, cre like representations of 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 people or, or things. Well, I was when I was very very little. Um, I mean, I think it comes from childhood nightmares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my one of my older brother's friends. Um, I, I I'm I was really really young. I was in the back seat of the car, and one of my brother's older friends was in the front seat. And I remember he turned around with this rubber mask on, and just terrif terrified me. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if I'd ever seen anything like that before, but. Uh, I just remember it happening and him laughing <laughs> and, and then I, then I had this reoccurring nightmare as a kid of this guy, which is, it's similar to that, that, you know, like what I call the goof, um, 
it was this guy walking down these stairs at my, for some reason it was at my aunt and uncle's house. And I was really young when I had this nightmare, but I can still like, it's just burned into my brain. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was this guy walking down these steps and it just, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an intense uh, memory. Yeah. And I'm not sure how that eventually worked its way into my artwork or, I mean, gr- then growing up, you know, I got MTV really young. Um, uh, my neighbor across the street, this kid, Jeremy, uh, who's now like uh, um, Eminem's like personal photographer. He, oh. uh, <laughs> he, he had all these Fangoria magazines. He was like six. I mean, maybe there were his moms, but well, you know, we were like six years old or so. And um, the cover of me and uh, Kevin Drum's uh, "I Drink Your Skin" CD is this yeah. image from the Beast Within which was another just terrifying image that was, uh, it was, I actually bought this issue of Fangoria and it had the poster. That was the poster on the inside. Yeah. And I could not look at it. It, yeah. you know, I kept, but I, I kept looking at it, <laughs> you right. know, but, but it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And um, so, you know, there was that, I would get rock and roll magazines as a little kid that, you know, they always had, I, I'm really, I, I really love advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the old advertisements in those where it was, you know, everything's like hand, hand done, you know, um, yeah. all the borders are either done with a, you know, rub off lines or, or just a ruler and a pen. And just kind of crude drawings that they had to make as line drawings that would be because they're going to be this big on a page. Um, So that kind of crept into my visual um, aesthetic, I guess. When you repurpose these imagery from specifically from horror or or from, from nightmares or from things that terrified you as a kid and you repurpose them in your work what what effect does that have on you or what is what does that do for you or what is that like do you feel like you're tapping into uh, that horror or are you kind of overcoming it laughing at it god i don't know laughing at it i mean yeah it's i mean it all of the horror stuff i like can be looked at in different you know in a funny way too you know I like really stupid horror movies um, and inept, uh, uh, you know, shitty masks. And I honestly, I mean, honestly, I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm just drawn to them. Yeah. Um, you know, I. I it, it's not like I can. I'm gonna come up with some artist statement about like, you know, what it, I, 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 and you shouldn't, I, you shouldn't. I'm just drawn to them. I have been since I was a kid. Um, uh, 
I like things that um, are mysterious to me that, you know, uh, that kind of scare me. You but, also uh, told a story with with Roman about about a, a I think a guy in a some sort of mental state with red hair that really freaked you out as a kid. I think there's a story about that. Yeah, I forgot I had talked about that on that show. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> when I was really young, I had um, I was in Sunday school. Um, which is like, you know, church school. Yeah. Uh, we were singing for a, a group of um, mentally handicapped people. And there was one there that was shaking a lot. And um, I just remember kind of, I was five or six. Um, I remember kind of locking into the, I just could not understand what was wrong and why they were doing this. And I, I just remember just staring and staring until I ended up like I passed out and had what <clears throat> we eventually came to know as a convulsive syncope. Like it's not an epileptic seizure, but it's um, uh, basically fainting and convulsing. Yeah. And I've had a few of those over the course of my life. And, yeah. Uh, perform live you also really go into a almost a trance-like state where you know you're a very unassuming fellow i'd say and on the on the seemingly in daily life but you you know on on stage or in in front of that in front of that audience you really really go somewhere and anyone who's seen you perform is always struck by it can you talk about that process for you kind of like a live set from start to finish like how you get into the state and how you what what it's like being in it and what, coming out of it um i don't know uh again it's like i i don't um it's just uh you know i'm listening um reacting to sounds and thing you know, the, the energy around me. Uh, it's, a it's a zone I get in, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's much different than, than like, you know, getting in the zone skateboarding, you know, when you're like sure. just fully in there or play, you know, I used to play hockey as a little kid. Um, just really getting, I'm just like hyper-focused. 
mm-hmm. on the sounds and uh, the the way it's uh, it's hitting me um, both uh, you know um, you know if it's if it's in a club with a really loud PA you know it physically affects me and and uh, you know it's uh, it, playing live in a live situation is much, much different for me than sitting in my studio, uh, recording. And, um, I, I think the energy of having other people there and, and, the the, you know, sometimes the, the, the excessive volume of a really nice PA mm-hmm. can, can help take me to certain places. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm maybe meditating in a way. Do you black out? Do you, do you, are you, are you conscious of your surroundings? Are you I'm conscious? Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't black out. No, I know what, I know what's happening. I know what's, you know, I know where my gear is. I know, you know, now available at Oxen Records, Incapacitance, Oxen Man's Uneasiness CD, Nobody, Woods and Wires CD, Title Still Available, Dressing, From the Body to the Door CD, Purgist, Heart Sink CD, Scum and Unsustainable Social Condition, Necessary Downfall CD, Leah P., Surviving the Familiar CD, available at oxenrecords.bigcartel.com. I, um, I allowed some folks uh that support this podcast on the patreon to submit some questions for oh, you cool. so I have, a, I have a handful here that i'm gonna pepper in um as we go through but here one person asks is do you have difficulties working with older machines and do you do your own maintenance on them or do you outsource it um i always have difficulty i don't fix my own stuff it be kind of, kind of, I have a kind of a graveyard of tape machines. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I also don't really have anyone around that can fix them for me. So I've kind of, I've been working with this, you know, like my main eight track players I use are this, is this Sanyo, uh, brand one that I can get pretty regularly or I could for a while. Oh. Um, but, uh, I mean, I can do simple things if it's a belt issue or, but I'm, I'm not good with, with, uh, circuits at all. So I, I, but yeah, I always have problems with working with old machines. (laughs) They're always breaking and it's hard to find people to fix them. Another person wrote, um, on Patreon kind of related to this. How do you feel about Coyle's belief that art and, or the materials used to create art can interact with occult forces in terms of you know, your physical interaction with these machines, do you think there's some sort of haunted or spiritual element that can be tapped into? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's all, it's all energy. It's all, uh, um, it's doing, it's doing something. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't like to talk, publicly too much about that kind of stuff it's um but but yeah it's all energy it's all it's all um 
affecting everyone in their different ways. It's affecting things that we can't see. Sure. When I interviewed Sam McKinley the second time, he talked about he has an upcoming pedal that was designed for him as being like the the Rita pedal, and it has it kind of recreates his very sparse crackle sound that he's been working with, which is you know kind of a, a definitely a divisive idea, but it's you know he's kind of the the idea that you know this could be like a this is like a pro pedal, you know, for a noise artist, and he also mentioned the fact that you know what if there was like a Dillaway pedal. What would you think about that? Um, be weird. I mean, I don't use pedals, so sure. it'd have to be a it'd have to be a tape machine. I think I don't know. Yeah. Um, Gray Gray had always joked, not really joked, because I think he was going to do it at some point. But he he was always he always wanted to make a um, Dillaway contact mic, like a mouth mic. Oh, um, and. I feel he's made me, he made me a couple of them, but he was going to make it like, you know, some like Dillaway branded, you know, like I was fucking, uh, like a, you know, like a guitar player magazine <laughs> ad for some like Steve Vai endorsed guitar cable or something <laughs> like, it's pretty funny, but, uh, never, we never ended up making them. Do you think that would have a positive impact on on art do you do you think do you think pure originality is essential for each individual for creating ma- meaningful art um no i mean it's it's all going to be original in some way everyone's going to tackle things different even if you're you know using a rita pedal you're not going to play it like Sam. Right. Unless you're super insane and have been just (laughs) stalking him and watching exactly how he does it. Out now on Input Error Records, the Rita and OVMN split LP. A brand new sidelong track each by two legendary stalwarts of massive harsh noise sound, featuring splintered electronics, crackling textures, and overblown bass. Available directly at input-error.co.uk and selected distros. So in, you know, the mid-2000s, people talk often about how that era kind of 2000, I don't know, four to 2007, you know, when no fun fest was happening and there was this really intense energy around noise, particularly in the United States, but everywhere. Um, people, you know, think that as like the last boom or some people say the golden era, even though that's, that, there's many, but, but yeah. you were very, very active during this time. What are some fond memories that you have about that time and what do you think made it kind of unique? And what happened afterwards that kind of put noise music and noise, not just the music, but the kind of the culture and the the the, the scene or whatever you want to call it, into a lull for a little while? Um, man, there I don't know. There was 
tons of amazing times. Um, meeting meeting Smegma was a big deal for us. I remember uh, early Wolf Eyes tour, us writing Smegma, just being like, hey, can we come hang out? And, uh, we ended up recording with them. Uh, I mean, those No Fun Fests were really insane. It, it was pretty crazy to have... Um, you know, I don't know how many people were at those gigs, 800, 1,000, well, you know, 1,000 people watching Macro Nympha. It was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that first time Macro Nympha played No Fun was really, you know, uh, Rogers started off with that death loop cut, which seems to have gotten cut off the LP version. It doesn't, the LP doesn't start off with that, but that's how the concert started. And it was, it was really a gnarly way. And then Joe came out, you know, way to start. And Joe came out with the metal and, but it was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird time. Um, What else? I mean, we were, we were touring a lot. And so we were, you know, just meeting tons of people doing incredible stuff, intense stuff. Um, gosh. And then, then, you know, I think the lull happened because, and it's funny to think about in terms of, uh, I think it took a while to hit the noise scene, but I think, you know, when the, when the market crashed and everything, it was like, it took a couple of years mm. before it was like, you know, it seemed you could kind of see it affecting everyone around except for the noise, you know, it was like noise heads. It's like, you know, well, I'm still buy. you know, it's like I spend all my money on beer, weed and noise tapes. <laughs> yeah. And then it, after a couple of years, it was kind of like, okay, now I can only afford beer and weed. Yeah. <laughs> And I think people, you know, had to work more and kind of, so they didn't have time to, to maybe work as much on, you know, it just seemed like, yeah. I think it eventually just caught up with just the state of, of America. And, um, interesting. I, I think it, it caught up with everybody slowly, uh, you know, artists, I think kind of hold off. You know, right, the resilience. Long, we'll hold on towards the well, end. You know, most of us are used to working with nothing, so it it, it um yeah it took a while to to hit, but I th- I think that had something to. Well, I was just say I'm also coming from someone who ran a you know noise distro. You know, yeah. it was it it took a while to hit, so it <clears throat> you know maybe it, it, I'm thinking of it in a different perspective than, you know, an art or, you know, just a straight up artist who's just. Yeah. But you could see that then. Cause you know, that's like, you could see probably some sort of correlation in direct sales and direct, I mean, a lot of other factors can play in that. Well, not, not just sales, but like, you know, uh, you know, the gigs and like, like people going out to shows, people, um, putting on shows, wanting to take risks of setting up shows or having the time to set up the shows or yeah, it all 
There was at that time also a lot of semi-mainstream interest and even investment in the situation. I mean, you had like, you know, Sub Pop, of course, putting out Wolf Eyes. You had Pitchfork writing about noise fairly frequently. You had people like Thurston Moore involved. I mean, Thurston Moore and Henry Rollins were buying stuff off eBay from people. I mean, I remember getting an order from Thurston Moore. Like, in my first, like, few months, I started doing noise. I was like, what the fuck? And, like, that was... I, I, I recently actually found a, a, a link on on YouTube to this German TV show that did a little segment on No Fun Fest. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. but interviews all these people and shows all these segments, and the, the voiceover about it is quite informative. I mean, you know, a lot of times when you get noise... Mainstream media coming noise, it's very off or or misses the mark totally. But they had very, very specific information about like, yeah, editions of 30 and people collect it because of this. And, you know, like sets are usually 20 minutes long. Like all this stuff that it was like insane to see that this was in, this was on television, you know, like probably, you know, two in the morning, but still like, do you, at this time, you know, you run a record store and I know you've you know you have, you have you have children now you have a family and you know no one wants to stay in the same patterns and and rhythms that they do their whole life I mean that that's just normal life evolves and changes but do you still see yourself connected with you know what one might call the noise scene in quotes are you still kind of in contact with that do you embrace it do you feel embraced by it yeah yeah. I mean, I try, it's, it's hard for me to keep up with everything now. And, and that was something that with the, when I was running the distro and things were kind of like, there were so many projects starting and, and it was, it got to the point where I just couldn't keep up with everything. It was, it was really intense and I, it's still hard. Um, but you know, I check out what I can and, and, you know, I, I did a kind of my first U.S. tour in forever, uh, right before I came here. And, uh, yeah, it was incredible to, you know, to, to, you know, I played, you know, I played everything from like a big club gig to, you know, basement gigs, barn gigs, shop yeah. gigs. It's great. It's, yeah. I don't know. And all the, so, you know, kids and people doing, there's still people doing killer stuff. What do you, what do you assess the noise scene in 2022? I mean, now it's 2023, but what's, what's your, what's your temperature on what's going on right now? That I don't know. That, that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, um, there's so many weird fucking factors right now you know with covid with um i don't know there's a lot of weird <sighs> if i want to use the word infiltration mainstream infiltration <laughs> you know we got uh i guess that's always been there though and i, I always kind of part of me that kind of likes that too because then it turns it'll turn some kid on to you know something 
messed up. What do you mean by main, mainstream infiltration that's going on right now? Um, just like, I, I mean, modern, modern hip hop music is really, there's, it's, it's pretty noise heavy. You know, mm -hmm. I, uh, trying to think who I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Infiltration isn't the word. I guess I'm thinking more of the Beyonce thing with Victoria's right. needles. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, if some young Beyonce fan decides they want to try playing a record player with <laughs> some needles on their fingers that's pretty cool yeah um but uh who is it vince staples mm -hmm. uh, my i took my son to see tyler the creator mm -hmm. and uh is that the guy's name vince staples who, who yeah was touring yeah he, yep 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 there was a track he played that um i was like this is the most fucked up music i've ever heard played to this many people well wow. it was it was amazing it was wow. and so i'm you know i'm really interested to hear what you know that uh, you know there's got to be some kids that that have heard, that heard that and are like yeah that's that's the one that you know that's the track that it's made them interested in making their own sounds or something um uh, I think it must be. I think that stuff really does trickle down, maybe even, you know, maybe to 0.1%, but when you have music that's so popular like that. Yeah, but man, it gets to a point, you know, I think it's really weird because it gets to a point, it's like with Nirvana, like, I feel like what, like the shit that was influenced by Nirvana that just didn't get it, you know, it's like that's yeah. what, brings us to fucking Woodstock 99. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, you're right. I had, the, I had a similar feeling when I, uh, heard, or when I went and saw the Stooges reunion, the first Stooges reunion, they opened and closed with, I want to be your dog. And it was a huge outdoor venue, like where we would go, you know, where, where like Journey would play or where yeah. like La Luzo would be. Um, yeah. And I remember at the end, like they're doing, I want to be your dog again. And I'm like, this is like, and people, people were flipping out by that point and like ripping up chairs and throwing chairs. And I'm like growing up with the Stooges and like, you know, it's it's classic rock to me, but seeing yeah. it played to that many people in that sort of setting was like, God, this music's really violent. Yeah, <laughs> like this is really intense. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was incredible to see. Did it bother you or did it excite you? Um, the power of the little music. Of both, little of both. Like the be I don't know, like the things I'm drawn to do. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kinda like you know, I, I would joke about uh I joke about it, you know, like the Metallica Lou Reed record. Like I, I would always kind of joke like, you know, it's just kind of irresponsible of Metallica to do, you know. <laughs> Cause like the lyrics on that record are like completely fucking suicidal, <laughs> like, like to bring in loot, like, you know, and then it's like, 
you got like the biggest metal band in the world with just, uh, you know, like it's intense when it gets to that point. And I, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. It can go, it can go many different ways. Do you think that that's something that is a danger of happening? Do you think that's maybe already happened that people maybe don't get it and are kind of new generations perhaps don't get it or having their own ter- interpretation on it, which is maybe bringing it in the wrong direction, one direction or another? I in don't terms know. of noise, industrial culture, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I mean, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, it has to, there's people, all, people are always going to take things the wrong way. You know, is it going to be like a, you know, a kid blowing his head off because he listened to Judas Priest? You know, it's like, I think, it, I, I don't know. No, I think there is a point where it's like, and I think Kurt Cobain saw it. <laughs> You know, I think that's why he had a hard time. Uh, you know, I think I think he was seeing people like when you when you get that big, when your stuff gets put into such a mainstream, um, there are people that are gonna get it, take it in a different way, um, mm-hmm. and I I think we're at a weird point now where it's like where the internet, you know, has made everything so available. And I, I don't think the majority of humans are smart enough to handle it. Yeah. And I I don't, it, there's it's too that's too much I, I you know i just think like technology has moved faster than than humans can really uh um, we're we're not smart enough to deal with it you know yeah i would agree i mean i uh, yeah i think to so to spiritually or psychically process a lot of that stuff yeah. We're not ready. No, we're not ready. Yeah, but it's here. It's yeah. done. It's, and it's, it's not stopping either, I don't think. It's not slowing yeah. down. Um, can you tell but me about... But then again, you know, you, you see, like... I do see good things in it, too, you know? Like, whereas, as, you know, I, I jokingly, you know talk about the like the you know lou reed's lyrics or something yeah being that intense you know there's probably a a bunch of kids that also are hearing it and being like okay there are other people out there that think like this you know as well sure yeah yeah exactly and maybe that's you know that's the goal of it all along i mean if noise artists or industrial artists, especially the earliest ones who maybe wanted to provoke something or do something subversive with, with these ideas, maybe they're getting what they asked for. Maybe the now that it's, you know, really able to be broadcast on the internet and piped into the home and mind of any 
anyone who happens to click on it, maybe that's the real effect of it. I mean, it's not just for your kind of like core little group of people that kind of are art educated and get it or have some sort of punk background. You know, it's like now it's really going everywhere or can go everywhere. And then the real impact of it will be seen. Information overload unit. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they saw, uh, you know, I think that's what a lot of that stuff was about. Out now on Absurd Exposition, Zenta Sustained, Serpent Track Patterns 12-inch, new 2022 material from the cult collaborative project between Ryan Bloomer and Sam McKinley, forthcoming Absurd Exposition CDs from Dodge Jones Rage, Neural, Fold, and Rasalka, with many more releases planned for 2023 and beyond. Plus, over 2,000 items currently in stock at Scream and Ride Distro, a Montreal-based source for experimental electronics, harsh noise, etc., offering affordable shipping worldwide. Visit ScreamingRide.com for ultimate noise power. You've done a lot of collaborations over the years, and that's kind of a big part of your your discography. Um, what, how would you describe your philosophy for a collaborative relationship? Um, I like collaborating with people that are doing different you know, quite different that, that, that approach things differently. You know, I've done a couple and yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done, uh, some collaborations, uh, live with people where we're, you know, both using tape machines and both, and it can get, it can get real muddy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, I like to have a bit of a contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I don't think I really have a philosophy other than like, you know, I like to work with people that I enjoy being around. Sure. You recently did a, a kind of a residency with, with Victoria Shen, right? Mm -hmm. At Wave Farm. And I'm curious about what Wave Farm is exactly. Cause yeah. It's a, it's an arts organization that um, they focus primarily on radio. Um, they were, they run a radio station out of there. It was, um, originally started as like a pirate radio station in, uh, New York, uh, free 103.9, um, that used to, they used to put on gigs, uh, as well. Like a lot of the earlier New York Wolf Eyes shows were at, were, were, uh, done there. Um, and now they have this, uh, incredible space in upstate New York, um, and uh, yeah, it's run by uh, Galen Joseph Hunter and Tom Rowe, and they, um, you know, it's like a they they've got quite a few different um, uh, pieces of the of the place, but it's it's you know they have they do these art residencies where where artists can go and and work on projects there and. Uh, I've done a couple of those now and um, yeah, just incredible resource. Uh, just um, amazing place to go work on stuff. That's, do you think, do you think there'll be any recordings that will come from your and Victoria's collaboration together? Is there a yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. I just need to, uh, to finish 
uh, editing them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we did a bunch of recordings there, and uh, um, yeah, hopefully that'll I'll I'll get to those soon. <laughs> what about working with Jeff German? Uh, that was really fun. Um, yeah, Jeff came to Oberlin. Um, there's a there's a great uh, organization at, at a student org- organization called the Modern Music Guild at Oberlin mm-hmm. College that uh, puts on experimental music concerts. And they brought Jeff um, to do, a, I remember he did a, I think he did, he did like a full on residency there where he, he had a class and, wow. and did a gig and a workshop. Um, and then uh, he came to my place and we did a recording, that recording together. Um, and that was, yeah, that was great. And just hanging out with him and hearing him tell, you know, amazing stories about, about the old days. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You were also, to my understanding, a dear friend of Tom Smith of To Live and Shave in LA, who passed away last year. Yeah. 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 Um, Can you tell, tell me about some of your more special times with him and anything that you uh, can share about your relationship with him? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Tom was a huge, huge early influence on me musically. Um, so I, I guess this is going back to, I was like in high school or right out of high school when that first To Live and Shave in L.A. CD came out. Um, and Jim Magus, uh, who used to co-run Bulb Records and was in this band Couch, uh, he was the buyer at, um, at the Borders in Ann Arbor. He was like the indie music buyer. And he cool. had great taste and there was always just insane noise you know you could go to borders and get the chop shop uh you know record in the metal you know sheet metal um he also i can't remember if he worked at he worked at school kids as well i can't remember if it was school kids first and then borders or vice Mm -hmm. versa but i do remember when the shave CD came out, it was at borders. I remember getting that and we were really into Harry pussy at the time. And I remember he was like, you got to get this. We didn't even know what it was. We thought it was a comp. He was like, it's like Harry pussy. Yeah. People are on it. Um, it's this guy had this band peach of immortality. You got to check it out. It's yeah. unlike anything you've ever heard. And it absolutely was. We, it, we were just like, this is the most psychedelic, most out of control music. If you can call I mean, it was, that was, you know, at that point, you know, I heard all the Japanese stuff, you yeah. know, like that shave CD, that was more difficult listening than, than Merzbauer. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, I understand that, that totally. It's like really fucked up music. Yeah. But it was music 
too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a different, you know, thing like that. That shit was all like, you know, built as songs. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, and shortly after that, he he came and spent some time. I know he was in Chicago for a while working on music with, with a lot of people out there. And then I think he kind of wore out his welcome. <laughs> and so he ended up coming to crash at my house. It was this house in Ann Arbor, the Huron house where I lived with Nate and um, just a lot of Ann Arbor music people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was about 10 or 11 people living at the house at the time. And we had shows in the basement um, Tom came and spent like a week or two with us. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were all obsessed with T-Rex at the time. So we were going to start this band and it was all going to be based on T-Rex cut-ups. Uh, and yeah, that band turned out to be, uh, ended up being called Sucking Coeds, the Sucking <laughs> Coeds. And it was basically everyone in the house cool. and and Tom and uh, yeah, it was a blast. He was such a, he was such a weird dude. You know, he was like 20 years older than most of us. Sure. He was like, you know, he's coming from, he's from Georgia, but he was coming from Miami. We just knew he was like this guy from Miami and he's, he's got this kind of swagger to him. That was like, we met him. He had like frosted tips, you know, his hair is okay. Wow. A really cool scene you guys got going there. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> um, but like he, 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 you know, he was, he was the guy. You know, he turned us on to, or at least me, he turned me on to King Tubby, and you know, just like dub production mm-hmm. stuff, and that like really opened up a lot of shit for me. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, he, he was amazing. And every time I would see him after, you know, it was like, fuck, Aaron, you look great. Oh. <laughs> you know, so good to see you. He's always like, always positive. I mean, kind of, it, no, he he, had, he definitely had a, a you know, uh, no, he was positive, but he was like, he was like always like ready to get things done, but he liked like fucking with with shit he liked what was perceived as cool or what was uh he was always uh and you you can see that going back to everything he's done (laughs) and yeah yeah uh, you know peach of immortality definitely was like doing a lot to like kind of provoke people and um yeah, he you know he he would rag on a lot of stuff, but he would also rag on stuff that he fucking loved too. Yeah, and um, you know was definitely influenced by and yeah, I mean he was he was like a walking museum of of the avant garde. Like he he knew so much about you know every weird little art scene and um. Yeah, he turned us on to the, like all the Viennese actionist stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I first got videotapes of that stuff, it came via Jim Magus, via Tom. 
Um, yeah, he was, he was the best. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was always, always, uh, you know, took it like, let's see. Um, I don't know. There was, there was no one like that, man. Yeah. No one like him. Never met anyone like him. Uh, He was living out in Germany, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 was, you know, he had met this woman Claudia and uh he was with her for a long time. Uh he, you know, I feel like I feel like getting to Germany like once he got there, I think he really just like, you know, he was in love, he was doing great. Um Yeah. Uh I I think he was really living his best life when he got out there, you know? Yeah. Did you ever have a chance to link up with him out here? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, my kids and I and Erica stayed with him, uh, for a week or two with him and Claudia, like when they were like babies or Sylvia was a baby. Leo was probably four or five. Cool. Um, got a great picture of the, of Leo and, uh, Tom, where they're both like wearing shades at like the, <laughs> like that, and we were like touching a bus somewhere or something. Um, awesome. Yeah, I always cherish that picture. Awesome. Hanson, you know, is your record store also in in, in Oberlin, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it being is it running while you're away in Nepal? You have people running it? Yeah, yeah. Robert Terman is running it for okay, me. Okay, cool. That's a special thing. If people want to meet Robert Terman, they can just go to your store and probably yeah talk his ear off and bother him you know yeah yeah so i usually like to ask people at the end of the interview also five noise releases of the past year that they they really like their top five of the past year but um Mm -hmm. i think instead i'd I'd like to just ask you to give me a handful of of newer noise artists or or people or projects albums shows whatever it may be of the last couple years that have made an impact on you that you'd like to shout out? Um, let's see. I mean, the, the meeting and Neil here uh, has been really incredible. Um, and he just, he comes, he comes to it from such a different uh, um, approach than, than I'm used to seeing. Um, it's mm-hmm. been really fun jamming with him and talking with him about sound. Uh, um, I mean, everything Mike Colino does kind of blows me away. Um, he's been really fun to see. Uh, yeah. um, I really love Creode, a duo from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everything either of them do, um, Samantha and uh, Tyler. Uh, it's great. Um, uh, just played a gig in Philly before I came here uh, with Stroker and Apologist, and that was a blast. And I just I love their attitude and approach yeah. to things. Um, um, gosh, 
I know there's a lot more, but it's that's good. That's a good yeah. handful. Appreciate that. Um, before we wrap it up, is there anything uh, coming up that you would like to let us know about, or anything to add on that maybe I didn't ask about or forgot? Um, next um, next solo album. That that that'll be a bit. I'm still piecing that together. I mean, I've been piecing it together, but I've. I'm always. I mean, I've I've got I've got uh, um, procrastination issues with <laughs> when it comes to that. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. Releasing things in general, but uh, um, yeah, I've got things I recorded five years ago that are for that album that mm-hmm. I've been sitting on. Um, that's why I put out that single recently. The, the Blue Studies single yeah. um, was one I was kind of, I was just like, I wanted to, because I know even once I finish the record, it's going to take a while to actually get out. So, right. Um, um, but I got, let's see, coming up soon. There's a, well, me and me and the Wolf guys are reissuing um, the, the first release we ever did with John Olson. Uh, called Wolf Eye. It was a CDR called Wolf Eyes with Spikes. Um, we're reissuing that on LP. Nice. Um, just together. Uh, um, not really on a. Li- well, the label is called HNAM, which is okay. just going to be the three. You know that that kind of goes back to that was our old uh, Yahoo Messenger board for it was the Hanson American Tapes Yahoo Messenger board. Cool. Um, but it's just the three of us reissuing it together. Yeah. Um, nice. And then I'm, I'm, while I'm out here, I'm finishing up the final bits of mixing the uh, John Cage Rosart mix uh, event that uh, happened, I guess, the end of 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's being released. Uh, by myself, Wave Farm, and the John Cage Trust. Wow. Um, but it's been a it's a it's a big it's been a big ordeal. It was a six hour concert with uh, you know multi track uh, thing. So I, I yeah. side one's done. I've been kind of whittling away at side two, mixing it. Uh, Is it going to be compressed to a to a single LP? It's going to be a single LP. Yeah. Cool. Um, nice. And, uh, with like an, it's going to have a nice booklet with, uh, photos and some writings. Um, but that'll, that'll be out, uh, this year. And, uh, you know, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. I've been recording like crazy with Anil, so um, I'm sure we'll have something come out soon. Um, Vic and I have a bunch of stuff already recorded. I just need to edit as well. And God, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Um, That's a lot. There's always a lot. And, and a lot of stuff that doesn't make it out. And uh, yeah, there's. That's a lot to look forward to. And the rest will be a surprise when it, if and when it pops up. Yeah. And then, so next month, um, I'm actually flying to Japan. Um, Shinchida, uh, 
is uh, bringing me back there. He he set up my last Japan tour. Um, this is going to be a pretty quick one. Um, uh, I'll be there about 10 days playing two concerts. And I think there's going to be a video uh, live streaming event as well. Um, uh, but yeah, one show, uh, both shows are with Buried Machine, which is uh, Shin's project. Cool. And then a show at Soup in Tokyo nice. with uh, Incapacitance and Rudolf Eber. Wow. Which I'm so excited about. And then a <laughs> show in, in Osaka with uh, uh, Buried Machine as well and uh, Solmania. Amazing. So, yeah. And then, then there's going to be a, a, like a live stream thing that's going to be, I believe me and Mikawa and Eber and Shin all performing together. Killer. Possibly. I, I, that, that whole one is still, I'm still a little confused about what exactly we're doing, but we're good. Great. Well, it's a TV show or something. Wow. If there are any links to any of that sort of stuff, please send them over and I'll, you know, also try to. Yeah. 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 So to the podcast. See Shin again, and he he That's released awesome. my Beauty Bath LP and brought me over there. And, uh, right, he's yes. been running a beer stand, uh, like a little bar there for the past few years, and so I'm excited to uh, have some have some of his beer finally. That's awesome. Is that is that where I mean I've seen videos of certain noise artists doing these kind of like street performances on the street. Like, I think being, you know, even Luke Tandy was there. You know, I've seen, they do some sort of busy street in Tokyo. And they do these, like, mini gorilla performances as people are going by. And, like, they're, like, drinking beers. I kind of like, got the sense it was front, in front of a beer stand. but Oh, maybe. I know he did a gig with Rudolph recently, a Buried Machine and Rudolph Ever gig. Uh, just, a, like, last month or mm-hmm. At his beer stand, but I I don't think it's outside. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I'm so excited. That's to awesome. Go there. But yeah, that's great. From Kathmandu, and then coming back here, and I'll be here until April. Far out. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time to yeah, talk to me today. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, very fun, and uh, enjoy the rest of Nepal. I'm. We're all very fascinated by what you're doing there. I think, and excited to see what comes of it in terms of any sort of works or documentations. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a much different trip than the first one. I'm not doing, you know, as many field recordings as I did. Um, mm-hmm. This is more, you know, I'm um, connecting more with other musicians and. Um, yeah, Chandra uh, just introduced me to. There's a member of um, Test Department, uh, Pigface, that lives out here. Wow. And uh, so we're supposed to have uh, tea uh, sometime soon. So cool. <laughs> hopefully that'll that'll lead to something too. I'm not sure what he's up to, or uh, he's married to a Nepali woman. He's been living yeah. out here for a while. So wow, um, amazing. But yeah, I'm looking forward to these shows coming up. Uh, the next couple weekends. Yeah. And uh, yeah, head back in April. So 
Okay, so it's still still a while left. So, so yeah, yeah. like the half point. Yeah. So I have to check back in with you and see what's what's going on in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Take care. Right, have a good yeah. evening. Take care. Bye bye. See ya. You can hear Aaron talk more about his recent collaborations, working with tape, his top five noise releases of all time, and more in the extended segments of this interview at patreon.com slash white centipede noise.